Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, I'm going to keep this set up short and let the smarter people on this panel unpack some fascinating lessons in using one of the re-emerging hot themes for marketing, marketers and their agency partners. And yes, that's econometrics and market mix modelling. A few weeks back, Cleminger BBDO-owned Chip Network landed one of the most coveted gongs at one of the most credible marketing and award shows amid the tonnage of industry backslapping, the Advertising Council's Effectiveness Awards, known as the EFIs. Chip was named Effective Agency of the Year for its work with Samsung. So we're going to talk about Samsung's four-year econometrics waltz with its head of data and solutions, Carl Bunn, CHEP's Executive Strategy Director, Lillian Saw, and Henry Innes, CEO and founder of the bustling automated econometrics firm, Mutinex. Welcome to you all. Um, fascinating conversation for me, at least anyway. Um, Carl, can we start with you with a little history, really? We've had you talking about this before, but Samsung in Australia started out maybe four years ago with econometrics and market mix modelling, essentially, I think, to prove how marketing could substantiate its contribution to the business and optimise what you're actually doing. Carl, what did it look like then? What were the limitations? And, and I guess, how has it evolved? What have you figured out? And thanks for joining. Welcome. Thanks, Paul. When we started the journey four years ago, it was it was probably twofold. One was about how do we understand the makeup of our overall sales contribution? And secondly, how do we understand as part of that the impact of marketing? And I think both of those are very important questions for us to answer that historically we haven't been able to do. And and there's not really that many um, solutions available for us to try and answer those questions for the business. So we set up with econometric models from a couple of different vendors. I think going back then, the models promised a lot. But what we found, amongst other things, was our ability to get to insights quickly was diminished by the time it took to build the model and generate the outputs and present them back to the organization. And so realistically, what we were... Carl, just what sort of timeline were you talking about there? Is it three, six, nine months? What was the typical cycle for that? We were normally looking about a six-month timeline from kind Mm. of go to woe. And when we're thinking about the dynamic businesses that each of us operate within, six months is a very long period of time. And I think we move on uh, quite quickly. And so being able to, while the insight was great, being able to land timely insights back into the team was, was very hard. So over that time, I think we've really figured out that it's a mix of having a good overview of our data. So through that time, we've done a fantastic job, in my opinion, at least, of uh, being able to grapple our data and bring it into a central location. I think for any modern marketing team, that's a really important uh, area to focus on. So over that time, we've got a lot better at handling that. And the other element that we were keen on is timeliness of data. And I think this is really the conversation that we started with Mutinex a couple of years ago was their platform really allowed us to bring more timely insights to the teams that relied on this to perform the work that they were doing. And so that evolution, sort of when did you start to feel that you might have a grasp on this? And, and sort of just going back earlier to your point, Carl, where prior to sort of market mix and, and econometrics, 
marketing didn't really have a robust way of demonstrating how its contribution to the business. That is a problem for marketing, isn't it, in the broader business and that you may be seen to be, well, ambiguous in, in the contribution. That's kind of one of the things that sort of is always a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're all in the same position. We're awash with metrics. We can measure everything. That was the promise of the digital era. But what is actually impactful, uh, what is incremental to the organization and what actually ladders up up to business metrics was always a conversation that was a bit harder to kind of unpack. I think facing the fundamental shifts in the market that we're seeing at the moment, we're all kind of afraid with the move to cookie-less and some of the um, impacts of uh, last-click attribution, even multi-touch attribution. So for us, it was about how do we start to take a step back from that and how do we start to understand the impact in light of those industry trends. So you, you talked about sort of getting some more insights that were coming to you faster and perhaps more near-term insights. What were some of them that you didn't have before? What were you able to do with with your new approach? And we should probably talk about what that approach is. What did you end up doing? Before we get to that that answer, Carl, actually, you know, I think you say you're in a good state now or a better state. What is that state? I think we're in a better state. I think it's a journey, though, and I'm not sure we'll ever get to the end state, but I think that's the that's the fun of, of the experience. Um, the, so the current state that we have at the moment is we've embedded Mutinex as a, a relatively real-time platform for models across our business, so across the different elements of our portfolio. We run a specific model that's focused on that part of the business. The platform that the Mutinex guys have uh, allow us to understand the breakdown and the makeup of our sales driven by not only marketing factors, but um, a wide range of um, environmental factors and and, and price-related factors. And you've crunched the time down, Carl? What's the cycle now? Yeah, so we're about a month um, on average. Um, Most of that is probably built off timeliness within our own data sets more than anything. So our ability to bring timely data into the platform driven off the buys that we make. And the conversations, I think that that's unpacking with the team are, are the exciting place in that having that kind of more monthly cadence means that we're able to sit with the teams that use this data more frequently and we're able to answer questions for them. And I think if we think about test and learns, test and learns in a dynamic where you're waiting for a few months for models to be updated are always harder to do. But in a platform where you have more access to real-time data, that's obviously easier for us. So I might get back to that original question, Carl, which is, you know, you talked about with that timeliness, you're getting more near-term insights. What are some of those near-term insights that you're getting now that you didn't have before? Great question. The ability, I think it's twofold, to be honest. I think the the ability to present an initial output to the team uh, with near-time insight has really allowed us to understand the breakdown of uh, what's working and what's not. We're able to kind of pivot relatively quickly, and we're always looking for refinements. We're always looking at the optimization. And so being able to understand what is the channel breakdown what's uh, the specific ROI of a particular investment that we're making has allowed us to look at certain products and understand that for some products, these products don't necessarily require a large amount of marketing or they require a different investment in marketing. What, because they're either mature or you've got a sort of an understanding of baseline sales that's not going to be impacted? Is that the sort of stuff you're talking about, Carl? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so new products coming into the market are obviously highly reliant on marketing to increase uh, market awareness to drive penetration 
And so those are heavily reliant on us and on our ability to have effective marketing channels. Whereas those that are more mature and probably lower price points not necessarily need as much investment to keep them going because they're bought for a particular reason. Um, and you can see that in the econometric models and the impact of marketing being diminished in those. Mm. I think what's also important as part of that conversation, though, is our ability to drill into it. So uh, previously with kind of slower, older models, it takes time for us to kind of gather questions from the team that we're presenting to, uh, understand what they might want to know about this specific round, and then kind of double click into that and answer questions. Whereas with this, we're able to do a lot of that up front. So we're able to drill into specific channels, understand particular buys and particular placements and what their overall contribution was to the conversation. So it's, it's a much more dynamic engagement with the teams that are using this. How widespread is the use of this across the Samsung team, Cal? Who uses it? Who gets excited by it? Who goes, no thanks? Because there'll be a few of those, I'm sure. How is the adoption and the enthusiasm, I guess, for this? It's definitely been a journey. I think uh, at the early stages, it started very much within the realms of the data analysts and kind of the idea that we could find a new way of measuring our performance. And in those early days, it was very much kind of the coordination and, and the, the support of some of the marketing team who were lent into this. I think across teams across the business, not just marketing, but across teams across the business, there's a, um, a healthy skepticism of, of some of these types of new ways of modeling things. And so what we were very conscious of finding supporters and using those within the business. And I would say over the course of the last two years, we've really grown that into a point where people are actively looking for that metric and understanding what the impact was. There's people still learning. Like I said earlier on, this is about a journey that who knows what the destination is, but bringing people into it, getting people more comfortable with something that we're doing on a constant basis. And so how has it changed what you're doing at Samsung, Carl? Is it altering, for instance, channel mix, or is it just giving you uh, affirmation or confirmation that what you're doing is working? Has it sort of changed? What's the percentage? What's the quantum here and how it's, it's shaken up what you do? It's a difficult question to answer because our model is constantly evolving and the industry is constantly shifting. And so that timeliness I was talking about earlier is particularly important. The medium landscape that we're operating in today is obviously very different to what we were operating in um, a couple of years ago. And so it's more our ability to kind of continue to be on the front foot of that and understand what is and is not working. I think fundamentally what we're looking for as a business is to understand that our investment over time is continuing to have a positive impact and our ability to get better at those placements and, and those buys is continuing to evolve and so in some ways there's a bit of a checkpoint uh, like a third-party checkpoint to say are we doing the things that we should be doing to support our organization and are we continuing to have the impact that we wanted and i think that's why the engagement not just internally but also with our agency partner has been a key part of this has it challenged any assumptions amongst your teams, um, both you know inside Samsung and Chip? And we'll get to Lillian in a sec. But were there some assumptions you went, oh, actually, that's not what we thought was happening? Uh, I would actually say it's proven that what we thought should be happening was actually happening. And it's given us more credibility to put numbers and data behind what we've been saying. And I think that's really a testament to the experience that we bring. I'd say the the challenge with this type of modeling is that it's not going to re suddenly replace and answer everything 
that you thought you didn't know. We found the best use for it is justifying what we always thought was true and providing more credibility in that space, more numbers to support the decision. And I think it's quite, it's actually quite exciting when something that you've thought for so long can actually be proven to be true by numbers and i think that gives you a lot of credibility in the business to kind of keep Um, yeah it's it's the same for relationships isn't it you go oh crikey i was right on that one that's good it's a relief hey so it does get us to chip network and which is samsung's agency across creative media digital and beyond how did the early conversations go with your agency teams on econometrics how did you broach it and what was the conversations back and forward I think initially it would be fair to say there was some healthy skepticism. I think we've all been part of these things in the past and I would say that it was about how do we find a way forward collaboratively. Like I was saying, I think there's a bit of apprehension on both sides that this is going to come in and tell us something that's completely foreign to the work that we've been doing for the past five or ten years. Um, and, And it's actually... We were using this platform initially to come in and say that the work that we were doing was actually correct. And there's a lot of credibility in the experience that the team are bringing. And it was really about bringing an independent measurement into that to be able to kind of justify the work that we're doing and driving forward. And so I think there was healthy skepticism on the CHIP side from our perspective. But I think that really allowed us to do the groundwork on making sure that this is the right solution, that we had the right data points coming in, and that we were working on this together. So it wasn't about agency versus client, client versus agency. It was trying to find a collective solution that worked for both of us, because there's really two users to this. There's, it's about how do we get better, more effective media ad in the market? And then how does the client feel confident that it's um, generating a return back into the business? Well, Lillian Saw, and you've said call you Lil because I only call you Lillian or you only get called Lillian when you're in trouble and you're not in trouble. Um, so I will call you Lil. Just update us a little bit on where that healthy skepticism that Carl talked about at CHEP. Are you less skeptical now than, than the team was, uh, you know, a few years back? And welcome, Lil. Hello. Welcome. Uh, thank you for the welcome. You know what? The skepticism comes from a place of data can tell you any story it wants to if you're not careful. And CHEP uh, has always seen marketing mixed modeling as integral to us and our client success. But what we always want to ensure is that we're being told the right story. And that's hard. That means, to Carla's point, having the trust in the provider, having trust in both teams using uh, the modeling and the data in the right way, and having trust that we're interpreting the results in the right way. So, um, Carl has spoken a lot about Mutinex and the ability to get data in a timely way. I think the best result for all of us has also been having a single source of truth. Because, you know, as Rory Sutherland would say in his his lovely provocative way, more data leads to better decisions except when it doesn't. Again, that's what everybody's guarding against, just another data source, another interpretation of what's working in in inverted commas and what's not. And the more we as a team built the model, got into Mutinex, got the trust up and running, the more we realized actually what it helped everyone do is be on the same page as to what's working, what's not, and help us move quickly to understand and agree on what's doing next. That's a really important point there from Lil about consistency of data and a consistent view of the data points. Like Very much in the early days, I remember some of our early models were challenged by the fact that 
there was not a consistency of data. And Like what, Carl? Just example, like what was inconsistent? What inputs were moving around? I think we have a, like most businesses, a multi-stack multi, um, solution on uh, different components of our marketing technology and different teams use different sources for reporting that. And while they're broadly the same, uh, there are some distinct differences. And so being able to have a consistent view of what that is means that we're taking away a lot of the conversation. I think we can't take away from the amount of effort that's involved in doing that, in creating that kind of consistent single source of truth. And I'm very conscious that we also don't try and build data empires where we're trying to create massive data warehouses. But the usage of these uh, data points has to be driven off a common understanding of the underlying data set. And Lil, just talk us through really how it is being used inside the agency. By who? And how does it influence what you're doing now? Is it sort of the same as what Carl said, that actually clearly Samsung and Chip are fundamentally talented teams because it's proving that you're actually good and doing more of what you're doing is, is being confirmed. But what, what is the influence and who's using it? I think there's two bits, right? Who uses it? And to your point, Paul, who's influenced by it? And I think it's best to separate them out. Of course, the direct users at CHEP are our data and our media teams, uh, our number boffins who love it and who look at the tool day in, day out, and who will see the small effects. The brilliance of those teams, and I think the brilliance of CHEP's connected creativity model, is that they help us interpret the data and the findings so we, again, are all on one page, but so it's usable. So so our strategists can use it to combine that with gut instinct and qualitative findings. And so our creatives can create great work off the back of it. I wouldn't profess that Mutinex is the be-all, end-all to getting a great creative product. It's a start point for us to have good, robust conversations about what works, what doesn't, and, a, and, and a, have an agreed point going forward of where we should go next. And so where I go, well, who uses it versus who's influenced by it, everyone at CHEP is influenced by it because, as you say, Paul, it's helped us get to the best work we can with Samsung, but that doesn't mean those people have to log into the tool every day because that's mm. necessary. Just give us a use case, if you would, and preferably on something that's coming up from Samsung so I can break the news, but just a use case. I'm joking, by the way. Um, but give us a use case without getting too specific of how that travels through the agency and conversation and strategy development and then ultimately channel buy and channel plan. Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, in the old days, we used to do quarterly or half yearly performance reports. And you would go, right, that's worked on that period of time. Let's take that insight and then maybe let's write some briefs off the back of it. As Carl has said, the timeliness is really helpful because we can go in when we get briefed from a client on any problem and say, right, well, what's worked on something similar with a similar audience, with a similar media mix, and really know at that point, at that current point in time, where we should go next and what has worked? So we take out a lot of that guesswork. So again, our data and media teams are masters in interpreting the data and giving us a strong start point of going, well, actually, what we're seeing is X and Y. Therefore, Stratton creative teams, maybe where we should head is dead. What we add on top of that, of course, is qual and instinct and gut feel and robust debate. But again, it's a great start point to get us to a strong solution. Let's get in very quickly, um, top line thinking from you all on 
the application of market mix modeling to channel and media media channel, but also creative. So how does this data and this uh, process impact on creative development, if at all? I think it's the area that we haven't nailed yet. I think there's a lot of focus on the buy and the creative, uh, sorry, the media investment. I think the creative angle is obviously something that we're still working out how do we inject into these conversations. We obviously have all seen the same charts that show the impact of creative and it kind of does feel like a bit of a miss in the way that we're modeling at the moment. And I kind of would reflect on maybe some of the insights that we've taken out of the tool previously that looks at channels, in particular, very kind of broad channels like cinema, where cinema does perform for us really well in certain environments. But I think it would be naive to think that the performance of cinema is just based on a media placement and the time. It's also the strength of the creative that you're, you have to show at that, at that place. And yet, I don't think we've nailed necessarily the impact of that. So I'm all ears on how we solve for that and if anyone mm. has any good ideas. Lil, how are you managing that tension? Perhaps the answer is there's only so much data we'll ever be able to tell us. And the beauty of the game that we're in is it is a balance of art and science and left brain and right brain and what you know and what instinct tells you. And I don't know, I think, you know what, data will tell us retrospectively what works. Data will tell you functionally what people have done. Data will tell us attribution of uh, whether the market mix model is right or not. It won't tell you if something's going to move somebody. And again, I don't know if it ever will. Maybe it will. But I think that's the magic that our industry brings, to be honest. So that's not in any sense downplaying the role that Mutinex or a market mix model plays. It is hugely important. I'm just an advocate for having a bit more of a balanced view to go, but maybe it can't do it all. And that's okay. So let's know the boundaries of where it should come in and where we should dial in other players within our agency and within our respective teams. Henry, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I think data is like, I always say data is about orientation more than it is about solution, if that makes sense. And I think that's probably the intelligent way to look at data. So directionally rather than sort of uh, prescriptive, is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's a whole universe of possible things that you can look at and focus on and decide what's important versus what's not. And like what data really gives you the ability to do is go objectively, like what are the things that we need to work on? Or objectively, like what are the things that are doing really, really well? And kind of just from a commercial perspective and just and just reduce that. And that allows you to frame up a really good baseline orientation that isn't just like about somebody's opinion, but it's like, okay, we're aligned on the objective performance of what's going on. And from there, you can actually then ideate more effectively because it's almost like building the house on the same foundation, if that makes sense. If your foundational view of what's, what's worked historically is divergent even within one team, it's actually remarkably difficult to get to aligned and constructive solutions of what's important and just to shape your worldview and orientation as to like, what, why am I focusing on this versus this? So just by way of example, you know, you might look at a, a particular, you know, product line and go, well, actually, we believe brand is doing really well to promote all product lines, but maybe it isn't, right? And um, that's not an example specific in this case. It's just like, how people analyze market mix modeling data is to understand like 
how is all of the things that we're doing fundamentally affecting what's happening in specific product lines? Speaking of creative, though, and, and media, it'll talk us through the Flipvertising campaign, which landed you the Effie's Award as Effective Agency of the Year. What was it and what was so good about that submission that got you the accolade? I think I'm proudest about Flipvertising because it does two things. It's been highly effectively awarded, yes, but it's also been highly creatively awarded. And again, I, sometimes I think our industry pits those two apart, that it's either really creative, but it might not actually work or it works, but it's not overly sexy in the way that it's constructed. And I, you know what, it's best in this industry. I think we do both, and we do both really, really well. In a nutshell, what we were tasked to do with Flipvertising was to launch Samsung's new flip phone. Uh, if you could see my action, I'm, I'm making a little alligator with my hand. So it's a phone that kind of folds in half like a clamshell. Uh, it was called the Galaxy Flip 4. And we knew that in other markets, that was a phone that, would appeal to a younger audience, 18 to 29-year-olds. What we also know about 18 to 29-year-olds from our modelling, from our instinct, is that they go out of their way to avoid traditional advertising. So our idea was to turn that on its head. Can we turn the hunted into the hunter? Can we get them to look for our advertising instead of us pushing our advertising on them? Uh, So what we did is we got our audience to search for Flip4 or Galaxy in your Google search bar and they'd be served ads. And the game was, the hope would be that they'd be served a hidden prize of a Galaxy Flip4. Now, along the way, as they were searching, of course, what they'd be exposed to is a range of content and reviews highlighting the Flip4 in a really good non-traditional advertising way. Looping back to our conversation, we know that so much of advertising is, yes, creating great work and great strategy. But to Carl's point, it's also proving to all of our stakeholders that our work works. And again, part of what Mutinex does and and part of what Carl had said right at the start is, can we help construct a strong business case that demonstrates this work was actually worth the investment that Samsung, the team, and our team had put towards it? And again, using Mutinex's data, we could measure that for every $1 spent, we returned $2.78. So that is the brilliance of data. To Henry's point, it gives us a sense of orientation that that type of work works. I think that really justifies the point that that this is the place for creativity. No data point was ever going to tell us that this was the campaign to work on. But what it does do is it allows us to see the impact of that activity. And I think that's super important. So it's really that balance of like creativity is always going to have a space. And this is just a tool that allows us to hopefully derive and, and prove out the hypothesis that we had. Was the execution and what you did just as an example there in terms of search and typing in, was that informed by previous learnings that was coming through from your market mix modeling or was that the hunch, creative hunch bit that actually ended up being proven later to be right? Yeah, a, a bit of A, a bit of B, right? To Carl's point, everything that we always thought we knew was almost proven out by Mutinex. So if we ask our audience who are listening to this, What channels would a youth audience often gravitate towards? I'm pretty sure, again, instinctively, everyone would say digital channels, search, YouTube, content. That is what Mutinex will show. That was the basis for what our brief was for creatives. But as Carl said, that would never give you the creative solution of let's turn the hunted into the hunter. So bit of A, bit of B. Henry, you've got broad visibility on how econometrics and market mix modeling is being used um, 
by dozens of different blue chips. Is Samsung and Chip typical? Are they doing things differently? Have they been on this boat a little bit earlier? What's your observation on what's happening here versus the broader market? Yeah, you know, I, I I think the thing is is a lot of collaboration comes from do you have the processes and receptiveness to to data as part of kind of the muscle memory of a business in a sense and like and I think more and more businesses are getting that but obviously like both Chep and Samsung are obviously very data driven organizations and so when you are data driven organizations like that you, my belief is is that you tend to have much more receptiveness to data and ground truth and orientation of perspective through data. And so I suppose that's what I think drives the level of collaboration. I will also just say it comes down to people. I mean, both organizations have people who deeply understand the data, understand how to use it, surface it, and and use it to influence work, outcomes, reporting, and so on. And so those elements become, you know, very, very important to, to, to my mind as well. Um, as to like what what makes this effective versus not. So I think those two things are have been hugely influential. But I'd say you know that the Samsung chip collaboration around econometrics is probably right up there in terms of you know um, usage of the platform, collaboration and platform. And also you know you can kind of see on our analytics and Carl, if I shouldn't say this as well, just let me know afterwards. But you can kind of see on our analytics like regularity of use and like time of use is something that we track. And both the regularity of use, like the spread of usage and the time spent consuming the data is relatively high in both organizations against our benchmarks. So um, so I'd say that's probably like a good indicator to us that it's it's quite well used. And I mean, I hear stories outside of Samsung and Chip about how it is um, optimizing and shifting some perceptions in other organizations about how the sort of the advisory or the direction in channel planning that goes on. So this whole notion with Samsung and Chip that it's sort of almost confirming what they were already doing, that isn't always the case though, is it? Well, I think I think some organizations like change and uh, change and react, but like I think when you're talking change, like I think you're talking like radical change to to a degree and radical directional change. I don't think that's needed, but I think there's constant like what I would describe, and Lil, correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's kind of like constant calibration to market results. And so it's not necessarily like, hey, we're going to like blow everything up and change it. But like, if you think about if you don't have those timely monthly insights, you kind of like, you almost get mental model drift from like the overall market. And I think like that's where, again, data and econometrics becomes really useful. It calibrates your mental model of what's effective on a month-to-month basis so that you don't have that big drift between like, you know, heuristics or, you know, a campaign that you've done, you know, four or five years ago that really worked, but in today's media environment perhaps wouldn't have the same rate of response or effectiveness. So that regular calibration is why we as an organization like believe in having data coming through frequently because it means you don't have to come and say to everybody, hey, we're blowing up the plan and starting everything again. It actually means that you're just well calibrated as an organization to what what drives response versus not. Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed yet, but I'm pretty simple. So I've got a simple question for all of you, which is, um, you know, it's essentially how do you define marketing effectiveness and, and whether it's truly effective? Carl, start with you. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but inside your organization, marketing effectiveness means what? 
I think it's our ability to demonstrate an ROI based on the investment that we're making at any given time. And I think we can debate what ROI is. I think there's both long-term and short-term ROIs against that investment. But it's very much about making sure that we're laddering up to some kind of business performance metric. Because if we're not spending dollars to return value back to our business, then that that feels like um, an ineffective use of spend. And business impact often going right through to sales, right? How you've influenced the sale or a transaction or a buy, yeah? Yeah, obviously we have both long and short-term objectives that we're trying to uh, appeal to, but yeah, definitely down kind of in the conversion layer is very much about driving that short-term sale. Lil marketing effectiveness, definition from you for a simpleton? (laughs) For a simpleton like me and you, uh, it's quite work that works. You know, we're an industry that creates work, beautiful work, but we do it in vain if it doesn't return a profit to a client. That is the business that we're in. So uh, we take that responsibility seriously at CHEP. You know, we want to take the budget that our clients give us and give them more back. And if we haven't done that, we haven't won. So that is the game at its simplest. To your point, Lil, about sort of creating work that's sometimes beautiful, but more important is work that works. Should all awards be judged with a significant component of effectiveness in it? And I'll go to the creative and media work agency first. Lil, should there be an effectiveness sort of uh, caveat in, in submissions? Look, I think there are awards out there who are there to judge craft, who are there to judge uh, the pure beauty of a campaign, and that's okay. I think the biggest awards in the world, like the Can. Uh, awards that we have should, of course, reward effectiveness. Uh, They have introduced a category, so that is great on them and good on them. Um, But yes, in in my heart of hearts, I think we should, as an industry, be truthful about what our industry is here for, and that is to help our clients meet the objectives that they have. Henry, awards and effectiveness components? I think if you're in the business of an industry of making money, you should be true to your purpose. And I think awards that don't have that are reflective of an industry not being true to its purpose. And Carl, can you top that one? Uh, my work is based on driving effectiveness for our business. So for me, it's definitely the combination of like really uh, impactful creative and um, uh, business impact. So I'd say, yes, I think rewards should always have a, an effectiveness element to them. And finally, what next, Carl? Quick one from you. So where, where to from here for you, for Samsung? I think, um, like I said at the beginning, this is um, an ongoing journey. I think the destination is going to continue to evolve as the industry evolves and and as our team and our agency and the people uh, involved in the conversation evolve. So I think really we've still got work to do on how we embed this further into the business, how we make more data-informed actions. And I think we're hoping to continue to grow that over time. Lil? What next? Another year of a great partnership with the gents on the phone um, and some more work that is both beautiful and stunningly effective. Henry Innes, for you and where this whole sort of move to MMM and econometrics, what happens in the next 12 months? Well, I think we need to stop calling it MMM and start calling it market mix decisioning. I'm no longer interested in models. I'm interested in does market mix help make better decisions. And so, you know, and I think that if the industry moves away from the drudgery of legacy MMM models and towards the effectiveness of better market mix decisions, we'll have a more effective and respected industry. And that's a much better thing. You know, I don't think 
I think by the time we're done at Mutinex, I would hope that no marketer in the world is seen as a cost centre. That would be a lovely mission to achieve. Well, that's a big ambition. So I think we should leave it on that because that leaves a good conversation in 10 years' time for Henry Innes and Mutinex, Have You Changed the World? Cal Bunn, Lillian Saw, Henry Innes, really interesting conversation, super instructive. Thanks for joining and get back to your modelling and investment modelling, I should say. Thanks for joining. See you guys. Bye. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.